Hey, everybody. Good evening. You're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. I am your host, Felipe, and with me, as always, is Austin Spiro. Austin, how are you doing this evening? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. Uh, excited to talk some Hall of Fame. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on the actual show um, and not the Express show, so this will be fun. Yeah, this is weird. Like, what, is this the Express show? Is this the real show? Is this the fake show? Uh, it doesn't matter. It's all Total Basis. It's, we cover all the bases, just like Babe Ruth used to back in the 1920s. Speaking of Babe Ruth, our Ruthian guest, Kevin Miller, as always. How you doing, man? Man, I haven't been called Ruthian since my slow-pitch softball days, but I'll take it. <laughs> Speaking of Ruth, the, the Puerto Rican Bay Ruth, uh, Melvin is also in the comments below. Just in time to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Let us know who your 10 guys would be, uh, would be not V. Again, I talked about the nuns off the air earlier today, didn't I? Uh, tell us who your 10 guys would be, who you would vote for if you had a vote. We will... Um, disclose our votes in just a minute or so or 20 or 30 minutes from now but yeah you get 10 uh people to choose from at maximum minimum i guess one or maybe zero i'm pretty sure there's zero there's uh, uh some writers who have not who decided to vote for zero candidates this year as because they're jerks like that i don't know man <laughs> my philosophy is you give me 10 guys to name i'm gonna name you 10 guys i will always maximize my efforts in that regard so I don't know. Uh, everybody has different philosophies, but that's my that's my theory. All right. Well, you know what this means. The most popular portion of the show, the star of the show, the spreadsheets. Not as much not as much color as I've done in the past. I figure keep it simple. I start from the bottom, and then we go to the top and rank uh, out of uh, based on Fangraphs War, ranked number two hundred fiftieth overall on this list from nineteen eighty five to twenty twenty. Minimum five thousand plate appearances. It's all color coordinated, so that means blue is really bad, uh, yellow is uh, middle of the road, and then uh, hot red is just the uh, amazing player. Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame already? And that steroids do work, but I got Mike Napoli at the bottom, at the very bottom of the list. Uh, I would have loved to have gotten rid of some of these guys with a 21 war uh, wins above replacement, according to Fangraph's definition of that of that metric. But I had to uh, leave Mike Napoli uh, on deck. So who's talking about Mike Napoli today? That would be me. Of course, he's a former angel. I had to I had to scoop up uh, Mike Napoli for this. Um, Mike Napoli started with the Angels. Um, and then eventually moved on from the angels, started his, started his career on the angels and then uh, moved to, I believe it was what Cleveland, um, after that. And, uh, I mean, pull up his page. He was with uh, the Red Sox yeah. too, by the way. Uh, Texas. Oh, he went after the angels. So he spent his first four or five seasons with the angels. Then he went to Texas a couple of years with Boston, uh, won a world series with them and then finished off his career in uh, Cleveland and then back to Texas. Um, Power hitter, power threat while he was there. Um, you know, above average bat. Didn't play long enough, uh, only 12 years. Um, something that I thought was really interesting while, while I was doing my research was uh, Mike Napoli played most of his career with a severe obstructive sleep apnea. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was to the point where the Red Sox in 2013 had a designated spot for, uh, in the locker room for Mike Napoli to get his rest before the game because he just flat out could not sleep. Um, wow. I guess it was, I guess it was so bad that um, he was afraid to uh, he was afraid to go to sleep. He left his uh, hotel rooms unlatched and unlocked just in case paramedics had to come in. Jesus died wow. while he 
while he slept. Um, he knew he had this and didn't have any surgery done until 2015, which um, I thought was really interesting because when you look at his career trajectory, I mean, he was a power threat for most of the years that he played. He hit somewhere between, you know, 15 to 30 homers for the most part. And then about uh, about the time he hit Boston, you started seeing his home run production dwindle. Um, he, you know, in 2015, he went to Texas, hit 20 homers. But then, um, or not 20, he hit uh, 18. 18 homers. And oh. then in 2016, he went to Cleveland the year after his surgery, hits 34 homers. Then he goes back to Texas hits 29 homers. So I thought that was, uh, I thought that was pretty interesting, but by that time he, uh, he, uh, was 35 years old, retired, started as a catcher, went to first base. So, you know, he was never a high batting average guy. Um, but you know, he also had the party at Napoli's during the, uh, during the world series while he was with Cleveland. Um, <laughs> he was a cool, cool guy. He has a really tight relationship with his mom too. Um, so just good overall guy, bearded, tatted, really cool guy to be around and a uh, good baseball player, good career, but in my opinion, not hall of fame career, only one all-star year that was in 2012. Um, other than that, no hardware. Um, yeah, that's pretty much sums up Mike Napoli, a good career, but not a hall of fame career. All right, let's quickly move on as we try to give as much spotlight to the first year guys on the ballot. But I got to say this, man, the, the 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 baseball ballot, they need to change or do something with it because it seems like they're trying to just put as many names on the list as possible. I started thinking, like, how does the NF, how does the Pro Football Hall of Fame do it? How does the Hockey Hall of Fame do it? And how does the Basketball Hall of Fame do it? And I feel like they don't just put you on the ballot just because you're re- you're retired five years. Uh, it's been five years since your retirement. There has to be, there, I don't know, there has to be a better I, way. What's up, Kevin? Go ahead. Well, I know in the NFL, there's some, I don't know exactly how it works, but there is a preliminary ballot just to be nominated. Yeah, it goes from like 15 and down to six or seven. I mean, that, and, and, it, and we're talking about elite players, like elite, elite players, not just guys who retired five years ago. So we're going to put them on the ballot because you mean not Mike Napoli? Not than my than not my Napoli's of the world, or in this case, the Andre Ethiers of the world. I was gonna ask you guys, uh, which, who would be the sentimental f- uh, favorite? But it's a long, it's a long, well. First of all, I I had to zoom in my spreadsheet, so I can't fit both guys to in one screen. Mike Napoli and Andre Ethier. So Andre Ethier is gonna be uh, flying solo here. Who was going to talk about Andre Ethier today? Uh, that that's me. All right, perfect. Go ahead. Yeah. So Andre Ethier is kind of an interesting case. Uh, I don't, just spoiler alert, I don't believe he should be a Hall of Famer, but he was a guy who kind of looked like he might have been on the trajectory early in his career. Uh, he was he was a good bat, uh, middle of the order for the Dodgers. It wasn't necessarily the Dodgers' best years, uh, but he was, he was really good. Uh, actually won a couple gold gloves, I believe, as well in the outfield. But injuries kind of just ruined that for him. He was a guy that uh, had back issues and knee issues and shoulder issues. Basically, if you could injure something, Andre Ethier injured it at some point, <laughs> potentially multiple times. Uh, so, uh, you know, he once he got to about age 29, his career was basically over uh, in terms of big production. Um, just looking at, at his numbers here. He, he hit 20 home runs as a 30-year-old, and then after that, um, he never reached that number again. He was, he was a good player, uh, but, but not a guy that had the longevity that you would, you would require 
um, for the Hall of Fame, especially when you consider that uh, the last five or six years of his career, especially were, were plagued by injury. I like that he, he didn't have the longevity, but he played 12 years. <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's crazy. Uh, I did. I will admit that I did have to drop to 5,000 plate appearances to account for guys like Mike Napoli and Andre Ethier. So I think last, the last time we did this, Austin, I had to, I only had to do it for 6,000 plate appearances. And I forgot who the culprit was that forced me to do it last time. Albert Bell. Oh, that's right. Yes. Good, good memory. Thank you. But uh, uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's the, I guess it's a, it's an issue of durability and not so much longevity. I mean, 12 years is a long time. Would you guys agree with me on that one at least? I mean, sure. Longer than longer than I played. <laughs> yeah, but, but several of those years weren't anywhere close to full season. So I, th- I think that's part of what I mean with the longevity. Yeah, yeah. He, he got Napoli, on the field a little Napoli bit. And Ethier. Napoli had some injury riddled seasons too. Sure. The last four seasons for Andre Ethier, he played in 310 games. The last four seasons, he played 310 games. So. What is that? Uh, less than 100 games per season, it looks like, right? Oh, it's actually 78 games per season from well, 2014 to 2017. On top of that, Andre Ethier was also, remember, the Dodgers for a long time had a log jam out in outfield. You had Ethier, you had Puig, you had um, Matt Kemp. You had, it just seemed like they had seven outfielders. They just had uh, the market. Van Slyke. Yeah, Scott Van Slyke or, yeah, Scott, because I keep thinking Andy, but it's Scott. No. Scott Van Slyke. Um, uh, he had Cro- so many... Was Carl yeah, Crawford, Crawford came in? Crawford, mm-hmm. that was the other one. And they were just high paid, very popular, but they all played the outfield, so they all couldn't play. And Andre Ethier with his with his um uh injuries ended up being like the fourth or fifth outfielder. Uh someone mentioned uh, you mentioned Yasiel Puig, but you mispronounced it. It's not Puig, it's <laughs> oh boy, my metal. Oh, not my voice isn't there for my metal scream. Sorry about that, guys. I thought I had it in me. Uh Jacob it sounded says, like you were taking a dump. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that was my attempt, but it was supposed to be more coherent. Was, we, anyway, uh, Jacob says, Spreadsheet Felipe has arrived. Goddamn right, I have. As always, I have several spreadsheets to show you. Um, Mike Harvey's also on the chat, or at least listening, tuning in this evening. Thank you for thank you guys for tuning in this um, evening to talk some Hall of Fame baseball with us. So we agree that Napoli and eighth year probably did not deserve to be on the ballot, but. I think it's whatever. JJ Hardy, Johnny Peralta. So uh, I was going to throw you guys a curveball rather than uh, uh, tell me who, you know, individually give me what you guys found out about these guys. Uh, Let's start with Austin. I want just give me a sentimental favorite here. Both of these guys were infielders, uh, mostly shortstop, I'm assuming. Uh, Who do you who would you like to see get into the Hall of Fame just because Johnny Peralta or JJ Hardy? Um. Uh, out of these two, based out on what two. I remember, probably Peralta. Okay. Any reason? No. <laughs> just <laughs> I just I I I remember hearing more of Johnny Peralta than I did of JJ Hardy. I think if I remember correctly, JJ Hardy was more of a a defensive player than an offensive player, um, and Johnny Peralta just seemed to be more entertaining. That's actually a good assessment in terms of just like the narrative base. I mean, I guess, and, and me being from the Midwest, I've, I've actually heard more of JJ Hardy than Johnny Peralta because Hardy was with the Milwaukee Brewers for a long time. Uh, well, by process of elimination and just to save us some time, who had Johnny Peralta? I did. All right. Tell um, me something about Johnny Peralta. Yeah. Peralta is, is one of the, the guys who uh, had a good career, but uh, was never, never excellent. Had a lot of, a lot of pretty good seasons, 
um, even a couple years where he flashed some power, but he was a guy who who doped. Um, Johnny Peralta got got caught using steroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well, then I changed my vote. No, 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 too late, too late. <laughs> I didn't know that. Too late. <laughs> yeah, so Peralta Peralta did get in trouble uh, for PEDs. Um, he he didn't, from my recollection and what I was researching, he didn't seem to be one who fought it or tried to lie and be like, oh well somebody gave me a vitamin and they must have, you know, laced it with steroids. Cause you know, that happens all the time. Oh, uh, the whole hair thing with Fernando Tatis too, right? I had. Re-born. Right. Yeah. 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 A special conditioner for Tatis. But the, <laughs> uh, the, the funny thing about Johnny Peralta is, and, and you'll notice it if you look on the spreadsheet, it's how he spells his name, right? It's J H O N N Y instead of J O H N N Y. And um, he actually got really, really offended one time when asked about that. Oh, uh, and and he explained that in the Dominican, that's a common way to spell Johnny. I I don't necessarily know if that's true or not. I'll take his word for it. Yeah. Uh, but he's he actually went on to say that the American spelling uh, of J O H N N Y is wrong and a travesty to the name. So Ooh. Johnny Peralta very very passionate about the way he spells his name. Damn. So don't get it wrong. Uh, I'm assuming Raheel is saying that. Johnny Peralta was caught with steroids because he's a Cardinal, right? I think that's the gist of it. So if you go to the Cardinals, <laughs> well, you're a he, cheater. I think he meant that I, I picked Johnny Peralta. Because oh, he- I don't know, man. Cardinals are a bunch of cheaters down there in St. Louis. Uh, you don't trust any St. Louis Cardinals. Don't trust any St. Louis fans. I don't even trust Raheel, and he knows where I live now. So um, I always watch my back with those <laughs> filthy Cardinal fans and filthy Cardinal players. Uh, all right. Well, uh, what about Kevin? Let's ask you, Jacoby Ellsbury or JJ Hardy, who would you want to see in the hall of fame for no reason? Just because. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I think Ellsbury was better, but I just, I loved JJ Hardy, man. Wow. He was really smooth at short and he had a couple years where he was a really good bat. He's one of, uh, one of only a handful of shortstops, uh, who aren't in the hall of fame, who won a gold glove and a silver slugger in the same year. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's it's kind of a an impressive feat. Not there's not that many non-Hall of Famers at the position who did that. Um, you know, both Ellsbury and Hardy were really hampered by injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ellsbury had knee and back, and I'm sure there were other things as I well. I believe he had head, shoulders, knees, and toes injuries, <laughs> and yeah. eyes and ears yeah, and he, mouth he and had nose. A concu- I think you're right with the head too, though. He had a concussion. <laughs> I think, I think he so had a pretty too. bad concussion once, but um, if I had to pick between those two for the, for the sake of the game, I'd say Ellsbury is a better player, mm-hmm. but just personally, man, I love, I loved watching JJ Hardy play short. I know he's not a hall of fame level player, but man, he was, he was good when he was healthy uh, at shortstop and had a few good offensive years too. So I'd pick him just personally. All right, let's move on as I'm really trying to just, and as you can see, once we leave Ellsbury uh, with a 30 war, uh where's our next guy oh jason worth is there anybody else on this list no jason worth with 36 war uh i mean look at that look at those the power man 360 on base percentage uh 229 home runs mid-level i'm not saying it's impressive it's just like in between you know mr um i don't want to i guess the word ordinary compared to these other guys is definitely warranted here but jason worth who had him on this one That's Kevin. Okay. Kevin's on mute. So Jason Worth, Kevin. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Jason Worth was one of the weirdest personalities in baseball. (laughs) Um, 
it wasn't always in a bad way necessarily. You know, uh-huh. there's some guys who are weird, like Greg Maddox, who peed on people. Like that's that's not good. You know, you don't want to be weird for peeing on people. But he was he was just an odd dude. Um, there were there were lots of times where uh, you know a teammate would be doing an interview in uh, in the locker room, and Jason Worth is just stripping naked in the background, and they'd have to like turn the cameras different directions because Jason Worth. Whether on purpose or just because he was weird, was stripping on camera. Um, there were times when I, I remember uh, it was before this was super popular. I remember he was flicking sunflower seeds at a teammate doing a dugout interview, but it wasn't because he was trying to get people to laugh or anything. It was just because that's what he normally did. He was just a he was just an odd dude, um, but seemed to be for the most part pretty well liked um, across across the league while he played. Uh, he was a very good player. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, believe he's hall of fame worthy. I think he's the type of guy that, you know, I'm okay with being at the bottom of the ballot, you know, maybe off in a year, that kind of guy. Um, <laughs> but you know, really, really good player at times. Um, he played on both some, some really good teams and some really bad teams. Um, he had the power speed combo, which is always entertaining. Um, so Jason oh, Worth wow. just kind of a, kind of an interesting guy. Oh wow! Yeah, I forgot that he was always a threat to get to twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, in certain years, holy crap! Isn't Jason uh, Worth the guy? I can't remember. Is it? Isn't Jason Worth? The, there was an issue with his kid. His kid was always uh, on the. Field. You're thinking about a, Adam Adam LaRoche. Adam LaRoche. Yeah. Oh, Adam LaRoche. That's it. Yeah. Another right. guy. With, also a weird guy. <laughs> oh, Another guy with a big beard. Oh yeah, those yeah. bearded, those weird bearded. I mean, Adam Eaton. Adam Eaton was a supporter of that. He uh, went on the radio when they decided that it wasn't that the White Sox were no longer going to have Adam LaRoche and his son Draco along, that they needed to get rid of them. Actually, I think I believe they gave Adam LaRoche an ultimatum. It's either keep your son at home or we got to get rid of you. And Adam LaRoche says, you know, I'm just going to retire then. And Adam Eaton went on the weekend to the local sports radio show, called up and said, you know, Drake LaRoche is a is a leader of the clubhouse. And it's a damn shit. Like, <laughs> really, dude, a 13 year old is a leader. No wonder the White Sox are such a joke. No wonder they <laughs> suck ass so much. Speaking of sucking ass, I see a couple of Cardinals are, uh, took offense to me calling them filthy. I always forget that my guy, Mike, uh, on the chat, Mike Harvey, he's from Washington. I always forget he's a Cardinals fan. I always think he's a Mariners fan. No, nope, but he's a Cardinals fan, which it's a shame. It's a real shame. We could be best friends, but we're. He has to be a Cardinals fan. Uh, <laughs> I also noticed that Raheel, uh, I guess he has a disdain for the letter Y. He calls Ellsbury Jacob and Jason what the, without the Y is a travesty. So uh, that's it's a hell of a stance, man. Hell of a stance to be put in. I am I am surprised just looking at, at the spreadsheet to see names like Don Mattingly and, um, and Tim Salmon and Juan Gonzalez and Derek Lee beneath jason worth i find that interesting yeah i only went back to 1985 i think don matting we played a lot longer than that so uh that's that's the one thing i don't like about just picking random years but again we're only focusing on the hall of fame players so the oldest guy it has to be gary sheffield um so i i think he started and i wrote it down in 1988 so you know i just went back to the uh 1985 you know because fives and zeros right nice round number Sure. So at the last guy who retired was in 2017. Obviously, five years have passed since the guys from 2017 retired. So I put it up to 2020 just to, you know, 35 years of baseball right here on this spreadsheet. Is it 35? I can't do math, Austin. Help me out here. Uh, I think it's more 45. No, 
no, to, I'm not to even. 1985. I'm not even. 2020, no, that's that's 38 years. Okay, but no, it's 35. Got it? I don't know. Anyway, we we can't do math, and we're doing a show about numbers, bro. I'm not. Even, I'm not even 40. Okay. <laughs> You know, well, I, I, you know what it is, is I'm distracted by because I really want to either really piss off the Yankee fans or re- make them really happy. According to the spreadsheet, Brett Gardner is better than Jason Worth. <laughs> <laughs> they, need to, they need to bring him back. <laughs> hey, you need you need a left fielder. This is why war. This is why war is bullshit. That's why. <laughs> All right, let's we we could I could sit here all day and talk about the merits of war, but let's talk about some guys who are coming back to the ballot: Tory Hunter and Omar Vizquel. Uh, Austin, uh, let's just uh, again I'll ask you the sentimental question. Not that you would vote for them, but just for sentiment uh, sentimentality. Who would you want to see get into the Hall of Fame: Omar Vizquel or Tory Hunter? You can't ask me this question. I'm so biased here. I I mean, I'm, out of these two, I'm going to pick Tory Hunter. Um, I you know. Tory Hunter, I really into a great glove. He had a you know a pretty decent bat, and he's an overall pretty pretty nice guy. Um, I know there's um, I believe if I remember correctly, somebody said there's inklings of him being a homophobe or transphobe, one of those phobes. I don't remember which one it is. It's all the um, phobes. Is it? It's what whatever phobe. Um, but um, Tory Hunter was a very entertaining baseball player to watch. Uh, I always uh, enjoy. He was the one who robbed Barry Bonds in the uh in the all-star game beautiful um, it was beautiful catch beautiful oh, yeah. catch great glove with the twins great glove with the angels was a mentor um him and Pujols were pretty uh pretty good mentors to mike to a very young mike trout um there was the triple t's while while he was on there tory trumbo and trout um was great to watch i loved it omar Vizquel in himself is a great uh great player um, I actually had him on the ballot last year um, to go in the Hall of Fame. And this year I have, uh, I'll spoil it a little bit. I've changed my mind um, in terms of Omar Vizquel. But in terms of sentimentality, I'd pick Tory Hunter. Of course you did. Of course you did. Damn Homer fans. Uh, <laughs> Mike says that I am dead to him. I, damn. That was, that was harsh. It's well, hard, we man. there's a there's like a a little bit of a running joke that Mike might be a serial killer because he's out in the backwoods of Washington and and I think it was a joke that it it hasn't picked up steam, but there's like a little bit of underlying that. So now I'm worried, like, oh, is he coming? Like, if, should I be watching my back? He has a Cardinals. Yeah, that fan. was a threat. That was a threat. He has a Cardinals fan, and I did warn. I did say that I always got to constantly look over my back because Cardinal fans, they'll just fly all over. Uh, Check okay. your computer data. Nah. uh oh wow uh i forgot about jimmy rollins well uh okay well you know what kevin let's ask you now jimmy rollins or omar vizquel who would you like to uh, see in the hall of fame for sentimental reasons uh i mean jimmy rollins Uh, omar vizquel much better defensive player but jimmy rollins much better offensive player and Mm. wasn't some bad defensive player you know he he wasn't a butcher at short by any means um I, i like i like jimmy rollins a lot um yeah, I mean, going going thirty thirty from shortstop is really impressive. Um, I don't necessarily think he should have won the MVP that year, but hey, who, that's that wasn't my call. Um, even though he's a Philly and I'm a Braves fan, I really liked <laughs> Jimmy Rollins. Uh, don't tell anyone I said that, which I guess that's too late. Cats out of the bag. This is live, so uh, I did I did like Jimmy Rollins, um, 
and I, I think he was generally he was he's under undervalued as a career. He's a guy that doesn't get enough love, in my opinion. And one of the few guys, if you ever look at the at the war metrics, you know, and they they base it off the the base running metric and the offensive uh, runs above replacement, and basically Y Z and A A columns here in my spreadsheet. He's one of the few that actually gets all positive markers, you know, for both yep. for base running offense and defense, and it's still only good enough to get him to forty nine point six uh, F four. So he can't even get over fifty. What a failure! <laughs> but I think this is the problem. Omar no, uh, Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins. I know he's better oh. than Omar Vizquel. Oh, oh yeah, oh absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd say Jimmy Rollins or Omar Vizquel twice on Sunday if I have to. Uh, but there's a problem right there. I found that, you guys, a 324 on-base percentage in a league that was pushing for leadoff hitters to get a higher on-base percentage. But, of course, the Phillies were such an old-school team with Charlie Manuel and then that bumblehead idiot. What's his name? Ruben Amaro Jr. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, he's the worst. Del- I signed Delman Young because he got 69 RBIs last year or, or some stupid thing like that. And and he's such a failure for the Phillies. I think it was Delman Young. Anyway, I, I'm getting angry just thinking about it. All right. Well, um, let's go with Austin, Jeff Kent, or Todd Helton. Um, I really enjoyed watching Todd Helton. Um, he he made the Rockies bearable to watch. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I mean, there there might be the Coors factor there, but I mean. It, it didn't matter to me. Todd Helton was very entertaining to watch big power threat for a very, very long time and on base to go with it. He's got a four fourteen on base, really good um, on base for a power hitter. Um, you know, there really isn't anything beyond that. He just seemed to go out there and do his job and did it for a while. And I really appreciated the way he, he played the game. And yeah, my pick would be uh, definitely Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, um, definitely some defensive struggles. Um, until he moved to second base, he was a much better defensive second baseman than he was. Um, what did he start at third base? Third base, yeah, I yeah, yeah third base for the started Mets. at third base, really, really bad defensively, and I think that messed with him offensively as well. Once he got to uh, once he got to second base, it seemed like it was uh, way better, he was better defensively, and that's when he started becoming a uh, that then he started having the third base hitters profile at second base. Um, so it was, uh, very interesting to watch and I would, he's a bit of a, what if story to me. And the, what if for me is what if he moved to second earlier, would we be in the conversation of is Jeff Ken a hall of famer or not? His, his, his numbers may look a little better if he transferred to second, maybe a little earlier in his career. Uh, I feel like his career turned around once he got to San Francisco, and all when I whenever I see a player just resurrect his career in San Francisco, I keep thinking, you know, Balco's not that that far away from Candlestick or Pac Bell or whatever. <laughs> uh, and I stand corrected. Uh, he started his career with the Blue Jays. He did get traded to the Mets uh, in that same season in 1992. Growing up as a Cub fan, I, I that's how I remember Jeff Kent that he started out with the Mets as a promising prospect, but just someone who wasn't consistent enough. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's see. Let's move on to outfield really quick. Again, these players, uh, we've talked about these guys. Um, oh, wow, there's four outfielders. Holy crap. Uh, all right. Well, then let's see. You know what? Let's do this tournament style. Let's make it really hard. Kevin, Andrew Jones or Bobby Abreu? 
Who would you Ooh, want to see in the Hall oh, of Fame? Come on. For sentimental reasons. <laughs> well, for sentimental reasons, it's really easy for me. For production, it's it's a lot harder because I think Bobby Abreu is outrageously underrated as a player. But as many know, I am a Braves fan. I, I am a, a champion for Andrew Jones being the greatest defensive center fielder of all time. I know there are other guys in that discussion, Willie Mays, et cetera, et cetera. But when there is video evidence of Andrew Jones moving the direction the ball is going to be hit before contact is made because he can tell based on the pitch and the swing pattern, that's special. Yeah. That's absolutely special. And according to uh, Willie Mays himself, Andrew Jones is the greatest defensive center fielder to ever live. Oh, wow. So because of that, I view him the same way. Because who am I to argue with Willie freaking Mays? So Andrew Jones, I believe, should be in the Hall of Fame, um, in addition to being the greatest defensive center fielder of all time, at minimum top three. He also hit 434 home runs. I know his batting average and on base weren't super high. I, I know that. But he was, he was a guy – I mean, he hit 51 home runs – uh, finished second in MVP voting that year. I believe that was a Pujols win that season, um, which hard to argue against Albert Pujols. But, you know, Andrew Jones was an offensive threat while being an absolutely elite defensive outfielder. So I don't understand why it's even a discussion as to whether or not he's in the Hall of Fame based on on the field production. I do know that uh, he was arrested for a domestic violence incident mm. um, that it, it's a little bit murky. Uh, we don't necessarily know why it could have been a, a money thing. His wife did say that things went a little differently than what was reported, but who knows what, what actually happened if he's guilty. I am much, uh, much less inclined to give him my support. If it's, if it went the way the arrest report said it did, then I'm not, uh, I, I don't want to support that. Um, but if it, uh, if it was not as it appeared, then I don't see what the question is behind Andrew Jones's candidacy. In the word of Scott Center, he's fat. You know how people, that's a, you know, uh, they mentioned, uh, Austin mentioned if Tory Hunter, he couldn't figure out if he was transphobic or homophobic. I think, I think he would best be described as homophobic, although I'm pretty sure he's transphobic, but you know, there's such a thing as fat phobia nowadays, fat phobic. So when, when, when players get fat, People get offended by it for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, James reminds us that Jeff Kent had one of the lamest injury excuses ever. Um, the only ex- the only injury I could think of is that he uh, injured his wrist trying to get his ATV out of his pickup truck or something. You guys know anything else about Jeff Kent that I should know about that James is uh, alluding to here? I, I'm not aware of it. No. I don't. I remember Sammy Sosa hurting a rib sneezing, supposedly. No, he he threw out his back sneezing, which, by the way, as I get older, that it that becomes a possibility every day for me. So <laughs> I am not going to doubt Sammy Sosa actually hurt himself. But you know what? PEDs, man, they make you all bulky and stuff, but they, you know, they leave you vulnerable, vulnerable in other places. Uh, Mike agrees about Andrew Jones with you, Kevin. So there you go. You get his approval. Meanwhile, he did admit that he is a serial killer and he's out to hunt me down. So I pissed off the wrong guy tonight. <laughs> Speaking of pissing off the wrong guy tonight, Austin, I got to ask you. I, need, dude, you're, I got two of your favorite players up here. Manny Ramirez or Gary Sheffield. Sentimental reasons. Go pick one. <laughs> is neither a choice? No, you got to um, pick one. Guns to your head right now. Otherwise, you die. Why did you pick the guy that's the most 
most negative towards steroids to do this one um, for sentimental reasons. I guess I think because I watched him more, I'd pick Manny Ramirez. Um, I mean, at least, you know, he cheated, but at least he had a personality to boot. <laughs> he was, you know, he was, he was a very weird character. He's the only outfielder that I've ever seen think that he was the cutoff guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd, I've never seen an outfielder do it. Not only did he think he was the cutoff, he thought Johnny Damon had such a bad throw. He had to die for it. And it doesn't make any sense walking in and out of the walking in and out of the green monster and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he started a, he started Manny Wood in LA after that, but you know, um, Gary Sheffield, Manny Ramirez, both great careers, but they both cheated. Uh, I think the difference between Manny Ramirez is Gary Sheffield is I watched him more and Manny Ramirez had more of a personality on the field. I will say this about Gary Sheffield. Uh, to this day, one of my favorite batting stances to imitate with that little yeah. bat wiggle that he did, the, the right-handed version of Barry Bonds. Hmm, yeah. Interesting. Both PD users. Hmm. <laughs> but no, that, no seriously, I, I used to love imitating his uh, batting stance as a kid. Uh, when I would just, uh, what do you call when you, you pitch to yourself? Is that is that called fungoing? Or... Well, that the fungo is when you use the, the fungo bat. I just Oh, never mind. I was just playing baseball in the backyard when I did it. <laughs> but when you throw it, when you throw the pitch to yourself, you know, you just kind of like toss it up in the air and then you, you swing as hard as you can. What is that called? I Nothing. Mean, I'm just messing what, around. I had common derbies in my backyard like that. <laughs> common section. Please tell me. I know I'm not the only guy who did that. I just can't. I don't know what the, there has to be a specific name. Um, Rahil, uh, Rahil says that's called being a Cubs fan when I when you play <laughs> when you play by yourself or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Oh, the, I, I gotta say, I think Gary Sheffield would be in my top ten of I don't want to fight this guy. Oh yeah, you don't you don't not only was him. he big and strong and and mean, but man, he was mean. Uh, he fought oh. a fan. You know, yeah. way before Ron Artest, and nobody really cared. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Gary Sheffield will do that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, uh, well, he he went into the lion's den, and he he, he got he, he got mauled. He was lucky to be alive, though. So I think it's the same way that you're describing Gary Sheffield. Well, you know, that's why they have fences around the zoo. That's why they have uh, fences around uh, netting be- between the stands and the field, so the fans don't. Don't interact too closely with the players. Oh, well, it's just Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield's going to do Gary Sheffield things. Hey, really quick. Um, 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 um. I had a, a question for one of you guys. And it escaped. Oh, well. Uh, Raheel uh, saying someone got hurt doing the dishes. I don't know what that means. Was that Jeff Kent? I don't know. But it did bring me, bring back flashbacks of me getting injured while washing the dishes. So that is also not a joke. So Yeah, I broke my foot doing dishes. Yeah, it's 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 um, it's true it's, story. It, it's a risk. I was playing, it's so I was practicing. I, I, I was I was practicing baseball, and a baseball, I went for a grounder. I was playing second. Baseball hit me in the foot, and as soon as the baseball hit me in the foot, my nose started bleeding. <gasps> <laughs> you tell me how that works. It's a gunshot, <laughs> man. You think it hit in the face? No. It never It came anywhere close to hitting me in the face. It hit me in the inside of the foot, and my nose started bleeding. That is one magic loogie. I tell you what, man. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I got a couple of third basemen here and then we can focus on who asked Carlos Beltran. Me. Okay. Hold on a minute. Then I'll ask Kevin, Kevin, sentimental reasons, Alex Rodriguez or Scott Rowland. Good luck. Well, I mean, we all know who the better player was, but it, I don't, I don't want to see a rod get in the hall of fame right now. That's not, that's not what I want. Uh, <laughs> I think Scott Rowland is worthy. 
Yeah. So I've got no problem picking Scott Rowland here. I, I think he belongs. Uh, he's a, he was a very underrated player in his day. Another, uh, another guy who was positive in base running offensive and defensive value heading towards his, his total war value um, An elite defensive third baseman, you know, probably top five defensive third baseman at uh, all time or, or somewhere around there and an, uh, an above average offensive player too. Um, if, if he wasn't on some of those bad Phillies teams and, uh, and then wasn't playing second fiddle behind uh, Pujols in, in St. Louis, he probably would have, would have had a little bit more popularity to help out there. But I, I, I choose Scott Rowling because I think he's worthy. And as far as we know, clean. So as far as we could tell, but you know me, man, everybody's guilty until they're proven innocent. Damn it. Also former Cardinal. You know, that guy wore nothing but red uniforms. I, I just realized that right? Cincinnati. Well, he, he played for the blue Jays for a little bit. Oh, that doesn't count. Well, Canada day, they, they wear red. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Of course, Raheel is all about Scott Rowland making it to the Hall of Fame. You know what? Just because of that, I don't want to see Scott Rowland in the Hall of Fame now. <laughs> hey, speaking of former Cardinal, Carlos Beltran, one of his many teams, right? He used to play for the Cardinals a long time ago, right? Right. Yep. This this episode sucks. Way too many Cardinals players. <laughs> anyway, and here I thought it was going to be dominated by Angels talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we still got pitchers to talk about, so let's be really quick about it. Uh, besides uh, whistling and cameras and garbage cans what else is carlos beltran good for so uh carlos beltran of course you know the, we can talk all night about how his candidacy his uh his ability to make the hall of fame is probably contingent on when where how the writers see the cheating scandal but other than that you know it took me it took me a lot of research to 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 really see Carlos Beltran for who Carlos Beltran was. He was actually a pretty good five-tool player. He's one of five players. Um one of five players to have 2500 hits, 400 home runs, and 300 stolen bases. The other four, Andre Dawson, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, and Willie Mays. Mm. Um and he's the only switch hitter to do it. So um, pretty good, uh, pretty good distinction there. Pretty good company. And I mean, you're amongst some cheaters there. So if you did it clean, well, somewhat clean, I guess, unless you count banging trash cans, not clean, but um, he, he, he did, he did pretty good. Good five tool player, um, rookie of the year, 1999, uh, lots of all-stars, uh, good glove out in right field, uh, out in center field. It's very, very difficult to get a positive defensive war, especially in the in the outfield. Um, and Carlos Beltran has managed to get a positive, I believe it's a positive defensive war um, yep. out in the outfield. And uh, I believe it's like two. So it's it's close, but he got there. Yeah, it's two. So pretty close. He has a 70.1 war, uh, an above average bat, had a good glove, pretty good speed. Um, so, you know, all in all, Carlos Beltran had a pretty good baseball career. It's going to be very contingent on how the writers see the cheating scandal. But I think all evidence point to everybody that's involved, like directly involved in baseball. If you're not a fan, they pretty much let go. They're like, okay, we've got it. That's enough. Like we're good. Um, so I don't think the cheating scandal will take much into his candidacy, um, will be much of an effect in, into his candidacy, but you never know. We'll, we, we might be surprised here. By the way, but for the record, uh, it looks like Austin. Awesome was citing baseball reference numbers uh when he was talking about the the, the war and the defensive yes. war uh yeah. so yeah I, I the spreadsheet just to reiterate is fan graphs um uh, kevin's asking if carlos beltran is a top five hitter uh switch hitter 
I would say so. I can't. I, I'm trying to blank as to what other four switch I mean, hitters are out there. But Chipper, Chipper Jones, and Mano. I mean, there's Chipper, but after that, I don't know. I mean, Mano and Chipper for sure are better. But then, then you're talking about Pete Rose. I don't know uh, Berkman. Oh yeah. Well, you know, Chipper's not even the best uh, player by the name of Chipper. My favorite baseball player of all time by the name of Chipper is Chipper Wood. It's a great name. Yeah, it's a great name. You know, some if you want to say his first name, uh, his last name first, and his first name last, it'd be Wood Chipper. Starting pitchers. I didn't think I was going to get that without you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, says the mad teacher who didn't know what 2020 minus 1985 was you know what i've had a long day it's 7 30 leave me alone <laughs> all right uh who was the last guy i talked to oh austin uh all right dickie or bronson arroyo who's your sentimental flavor uh favorite here as we move on to starting pitchers Ari dickie it's not even close the knuckleball uh, it's a knuckleball uh, isn't it I mean, it's the knuckleball. It's his story. I love a good underdog. You want to talk about a true underdog story. It's R.A. Dickey. Um, I mean, and it's a good thing I did the research on him. You you want to talk about a true underdog story. This dude did not start as a knuckleball pitcher. He started yeah. as a hard throwing, uh, a hard throwing pitcher from the University of Tennessee. Um, and he opens up in his, not in his book about how he was sexually abused in Tennessee at eight years old by multiple individuals. And that stuck with him for a long time in his career. Um, he used sports as an outlet, as a, as a, as a home, uh, he played quarterback, um, in high school. And then he uh, got a scholarship to the university of Tennessee to pitch was a hard throwing righty was getting drafted by the Rangers went and was poised to get an $810,000 signing bonus when the medicals came back and said that he was born without an ulnar collateral ligament, the oh, UCL, snap. which is the, the, which is the ligament that they work on. When you have Tommy John surgery, that whole ligament was missing. So uh, the Rangers didn't like that rescinded the signing bonus um, and, and lowered it from $810,000 to $75,000. And he went to um, he went to say uh, it's like, it felt like he won the lottery and lost the ticket. Um, um, Not only that, when he was 21 years old, he won the bronze medal with the 1996 Olympic baseball team out in Athens. Um, And he played, um, he played with the in the Ranger system a little bit, and of course, he bounced around in his career. Didn't develop a knuckleball until 2005 when he was already a professional pitcher. And the reason why he developed the knuckleball is he didn't think he had a chance to get into the majors unless he developed a knuckleball. It was just right. a wild, wild idea. He was like, Let's try throwing a knuckleball and see if it sticks, and it worked. Uh, ended up winning a Cy Young, developing a name for himself, obviously, after that Cy Young season. That was, I think, pretty much it for R.A. Dickey. Um, but it's a it's a great story to follow. Um, ended up turning what he thought was going to be a lackluster, short, minor career into a 15-year career, um, three years in a row leading the, leading the league in games started. Um, complete games and shutouts. He led, uh, he led the league in 2012. Um, I believe that is the year he also won the Cy Young. It is the year he won the Cy Young. Um, he led Lame. the game. And, uh, and yeah, 37 years old, ended up making a career out of it. So, <sighs> you know, it's, uh, it's a good story to follow Bronson. I will give out give a shout out to Bronson Arroyo. One of the weirdest pitching deliveries I've ever seen in my life. Um, but Ari Dickey has a better story. Yeah, and it's a good story. I just I still hate the fact that he won the Cy Young Award in 2012. I didn't think he deserved it or it was anything special. Something about knuckleball is just 
pisses me off. Uh, Bronson Arroyo, <laughs> did you guys buy his album? No. I did not, but I know I a lot not. of Red Sox fans did prior to the World Series. There yeah. was a big push for it, uh, but that was that was before he admitted to using steroids. So. On the guitar? <laughs> using steroids on the guitar? I'm not sure how that would work. I thought I thought you were saying that, he, that, he, that they bought out his they bought his album, but then they found out that he was using steroids, uh, like what for the guitar playing? Oh, have or? you not heard the conspiracy theory behind his admission? No, what? So after David Ortiz's name came out from the anonymous uh, 2003 testing, there there is a conspiracy theory that says that Brunson Arroyo went to the media to say that he probably, as he put it, probably tested positive to draw attention away oh, from geez. Ortiz. I don't know that I necessarily believe that story, but uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, Cause it was, it was when he was in Boston as well. And when they asked him about it, he goes, Oh, well, you know, I probably tested positive. I took this, this, and this, but he didn't actually test positive in that, in that well, test. Not- and so it was really weird. Well, now look at him now. He's now he's going to lose points for, for hall of fame voting because he admitted to it. Oh damn! Honesty doesn't get you anywhere, guys. That's why. <laughs> that's why people play baseball so they don't have to be honest with anybody. <sighs> Let that linger for a little bit. All right. Oh well. Since I asked Austin, I asked now Kevin, Jared Weaver, or Matt Kane. Who's your sentimental favorite here? Man, why do you got to ask me the steroid question and then you don't ask me about Jared Weaver? What is what? Uh, come on. Uh, Man, if we want to talk about somebody hitting somebody at 84 miles per hour, we could talk about that another please. time. I wanted to tell that story. <laughs> Matt Kane is the choice. Hell yeah. Uh, Matt Matt Kane has a weird career. You all he wasn't suck. Very... No, no taste. No taste. <laughs> I don't have COVID. He, he, Matt Cain wasn't super good when he first came up, um, but then all of a sudden he got elite mm. for a few seasons, and then he threw a perfect game, and then he just kind of lost it. Um, it. It's something that can't necessarily uh, be specifically attributed to that day, um, but in 2012 he did throw his perfect game, and then he only had one more good season after that, and he wasn't old at all. I think he was 30 years old at the time. And he hung around for four or five more years, but was not good. Sometimes even bad during that time. Um, it's kind of a kind of an interesting story. Being the best pitcher in 2010, probably for that Giants World Series team, and really good still, maybe the best in 2012, and then almost getting left off the roster in 2014. Wow! For for that run um, is, is just a, just an interesting career for Matt Cain. Seems like a likable guy, a lot more likable than your boy, Jared Weaver, Austin, but uh, no, what right. he was liked until he was a punchline. Okay. Red ass. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, he's more likable than his brother. I'll say that. They're Which the one? same. They're the same guy. Buck Weaver. Jeff. No, Jeff Weaver. Sorry. Yeah. Earl Weaver. Weaver. No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was actually a uh, uh, wood chipper's cousin uh, basket. Weaver, oh basket weaver, yeah, uh, underwater basket. <laughs> hey, I gotta ask you, Kevin, uh, because my theory has always been because I haven't really dug deep into the numbers, but my theory was that the Giants always had a revolving door of aces in those championship runs. Uh, so in 2010, I, I would, I would, 
suggest that Tim Lincecum might have been the best starting pitcher on that team. And then 2012 comes and Matt Cain carried that rotation. And then in 2014, uh, Madison Bumgarner carried Bumgarner, that rotation. Yeah. Uh, would well, you agree with that? They as... were also supported by Ryan Vogelsong, who had a few good years on, on there as well. Hey, by the way, uh, Vogelsong, Vo- I found out this past year, Vogel means bird in, in German. So it's oh. actually Ryan Birdsong. Interesting. Yeah. But uh, getting back to the question as to the revolving door of uh, start of aces starting pitchers for those Giants uh, for that early Giants dynasty, would you agree with that, or have you seen other things that suggest that that might not be the case? Well, I mean, it does seem like that. I, in 2010, having both Linscombe and Matt Cain, that was almost not fair. Uh, they were both yeah. <laughs> they were both really really good at the time. Um, both obviously fell off in the not too distant future. Linscombe first, and then then Cain, but. Um, yeah, definitely. You can definitely make the argument, you know, skipping a year in between, you know, 2010, 2012, 2014. And you can definitely make the argument that the best pitcher on the team changed each time. Bumgarner, Bumgarner is a little overrated based on how good he was in the postseason. Yeah. But by the way, I'm looking at it. Uh, yeah, Matt Cain was the best, uh, uh, war pitcher in 2012. And uh, Lincecum was the best war pitcher in 2010. And I, Bumgarner, regular season success or not, he basically carried that Giants team into the into the World Series. Oh, no doubt. In 2014 as well. All right, let's move on then. We say goodbye to those two guys. And, My pick uh, is Jared Weaver. Uh, oh, no, really? <laughs> wow. Uh, and then we get to this portion of the, of the I mean, John Lackey's the new guy. And then Mark Burley is the uh, returning, but I guess it's Austin. Who would you prefer, Mark Burley or John Lackey? Um, you know what, John? This one, this one's tough for me because you know it was real fun to watch either one. You know, I think I think I'm gonna go against the grain. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Mark Burley on this one. Good, um, good. It's the correct yeah. choice. Okay. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, but both of them were were. Um, good pitchers to watch both of them i feel like were horses um and mark burley was 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 really a horse but john lackey and i remember felipe and i having a private conversation um he you know it it took some uh research on your part for you to be like oh john lackey was actually a horse i'm like yeah he he did uh he pitched a lot of innings and for the most part anyway he uh you know, I misunderstood. I misunderstood you. I am so sorry. I misunderstood you. I thought you said he looked like a horse. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I guess he kind of did. He's got a long face like a horse. Um, I thought he was a sad. Anyway, go on. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think Mark Burley is probably held with a little more uh, positive light than John Lackey. Um, John Lackey um, has a very turbulent history and a very um, interesting um image i guess you want to say he was a main culprit and was blamed for a lot of the collapse of the red Sox in 2030 he and other pitchers clay buckholds and uh you know people like that were said to be uh eating fried chicken and drinking beer in the yes room (laughs) and there ain't a thing wrong with that (laughs) yeah amidst that seven and seven and 21 collapse um he self describes he describes himself as an asshole. He says yeah. he knows he's an asshole, um, but he's he's got grit, determination. I mean, he or I, it must have been every start. He argued with the manager about getting off the mound. He never wanted to get off the mound. Um, but 
at the same time, the Red Sox, after that scandal started to, or the Red Sox fans anyway, started to respect him uh, a little bit because he pitched every five days with injuries. And uh, there were a lot of the, there were a lot of questions when it came to the uh, pitching staff after that because everybody was going down. Everybody was going down, and um, you know John Lackey stayed there. And then he ended up having a good reputation with the Cubs because of that same thing. He played every five days, um, you know. So it, it it's a tale of two different John Lackeys. You either get the baseball player John Lackey, who was a horse and actually produced for a number for a lot of his career, and then you have the 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 teammate and the person who seems to be a little. Uh, a little crotchety at times. Um, and he likes fried chicken and beer. Apparently. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to add in there is when he was on the angels in 2002, he became the second rookie pitcher to start and win a world series game behind whitey Ford. Oh, look at that really quick. Uh, you, since you talk about Mark Burley and I just confirmed, cause I couldn't, my memory was kind of hazy. Uh, Mark Burley had a chance to get two perfect games, not just one, but two perfect games. Yeah against the Texas Rangers, April 18, 2007. And I remember this because I was so mad. I was watching that game live. Mark Burley uh, got squeezed by the umpire. At least I think he got squeezed by the umpire and walked Sammy Sosa on a very controversial call. And it was and it was all for naught because uh, immediately Mark Burley picked off Sammy Sosa at first base. Mark Burley did not give up any other base runner after that game. I think that should be a perfect game in my book. I mean, you got rid of the guy who walked. I know that's not officially a perfect game, but it's a perfect game in my book. I tell you what, just like uh, Armando Galarraga, right? Yeah. His was a perfect game too, right? Armando Galarraga. Yeah, it, it oh. was. I mean, and it was the last out, right? Uh, the penultimate out. <laughs> yeah. So second last. Oh, second Jim last. Joyce. Yeah, Jim Joyce. Jim Joyce, no. Uh, and Andy Pettit is a cheater. I don't care what anybody says. Come on. Oh, well, he apologized. Mark Burley also does have one more between the leg glove flip to first than John Lackey does. Mercy. That's right. <laughs> but one less than Bartolo Colon. Oh, really? That's true. Uh, I remember him doing it twice. Yeah, he did it twice. I don't know how he got his arm past his belly, but it worked out. I know. That's, and that's... his looked smoother. Bartolo Colon's looked smoother than Mark Burley. <laughs> Yes. Young young Bartolo before he got really fat was was an athlete. He was. Yeah, speaking of fat fullback. Well, Andy <laughs> Pettit, uh, he's a cheater. I don't want him in the Hall of Fame. And he's a Yankees. Yankees, they ruin everything. So have fun with that. <laughs> Where's Brian? Where's his graphic? Oh uh, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. And that is an easy one. <laughs> I mean, this is the relief pitchers. It's uh Billy Wagner criminally not in the Hall of Fame. Oops, I think I made this too big. Well, now we can't see Houston Street. But obviously, Houston Street, uh, former Rockies, A's, and Angels pitcher as well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, too many Angels on this damn podcast. And the A's. I believe he's on the A's as well. Yeah, I mentioned the A's. I remember. I think he was brought up by the A's. Or maybe even he the was. A's. Was he with the Astros? No, his name is Houston. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Mike Harvey, with all the talk about the Cardinals players, he says that this is the best show ever. Which uh, <laughs> we have failed if Cardinal fans are saying that. Houston Street, uh, I remember he helping me in fantasy baseball. That's the thing I talked to Austin about in a private conversation was this must be the first time where all of these players that are in the first year ballot uh, that I was there in terms of fantasy baseball from their beginning of their career all the way to the end of their career. 
So th this is a surreal moment for me as well right now. And uh, uh, this is really the first ballot for me that um, I saw the majority of these, or I saw the majority of all of these guys' careers. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that goes along with the whole fantasy baseball thing and the real life baseball thing is that, yeah, I, K-Rod, uh, John Lackey, I saw him in the 2002 World Series uh, make a legend of himself. And then the next year in 2003, uh, I was reading articles, stay away from John Lackey. It's all fool's gold. Don't get uh, suckered into believing that his postseason run was the actual pitcher that he is. He walks so many guys. He does have command issues. And what, so, uh, how long was he on the league for? Uh 15 years, I think, right? Something like that, yeah. I mean, long time, from 2002 all the way to 2017. Oh, yeah, it's a long time. But anyway, that uh, Houston Street, uh, I want to move on really quick so we can finish up. And then there's K-Rod, another guy. I don't remember if he was a rookie or not, but I remember when, when he was uh, uh, he pitched in the uh, playoffs in 2002 that they were comparing him to Mariano Rivera. And, boy, the Angels, they, were, they couldn't wait to get rid of Troy Percival so they can uh, – live off of K-Rod um, and make him the ninth inning guy. Uh, and since you're the Angels fan, Austin, any memories that you want to share uh, about either or of these players? Um, you know, Houston Street had a very brief, um, brief tenure with the Angels. Uh, K-Rod um, is probably held a little more favorably in terms of Angel fandom. Um, you know, he was that dude when he was with uh, the Angels was filthy. Mm -hmm. um, great fastball. Um, you know, he just overpowered people struck. I, I just looked it up. He had a 28% career strikeout rate, um, led the league in save three times with the angels, four of his six all-star games are with the angels. He broke the single season save record with the angels at 62. Um, the dude was just filthy. And in my opinion has a very underrated career. And I have a sneaky suspicion that he is going to be, um, not as highly regarded as uh, in, in the Hall of Fame discussion as, as other relief pitchers like Billy Wagner, although a number of uh, a lot of his numbers seem very similar to Billy Wagner and Francisco Rodriguez has more saves than Billy Wagner. Um, Francisco Rodriguez has the fourth most saves all time, while Billy Wagner has the sixth most saves all time. Um, on top of that, it is very, very difficult for relief pitchers to be in the conversation for Cy Young awards. In, Fran uh, in 2004, Francisco Rodriguez finished fourth in Cy Young. In 2000, what is that? 2006, fourth in Cy Young award. In 2008, third in Cy Young award and sixth in MVP voting as a relief pitcher. Um, and then he kind of had a dip in his career. Once he got off the angels, he broke the single season record um, and then immediately went to the Mets, had an all-star season and then kind of tanked from there. And then he kind of had a resurrection later in his year or later in his career with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers had two more all-star seasons with the Brewers and then kind of tailored off with the Tigers. And last time I heard, he's still trying to make a comeback. Uh, he played a, uh, he, he played in the minor league system for the nationals. And then he was playing on some inner um, uh, some independent ball team uh, still trying to make a comeback. So Fra Francisco Rodriguez may be making a comeback, but um, I think, I think that Francisco Rodriguez has a very underrated Hall of Fame career. In my opinion, Francisco Rodriguez is a Hall of Famer. All right. Well, let's see how the panel voted for these guys. And there they are. Uh, 
How does that look on my, that should be big enough for everybody, but there's Austin, there's Felipe, Sean, my podcast partners on my podcast partner on Sundays, uh, Vince and Henry of the Dong City podcast, Melvin of the Baseball Cosmos, and Kevin from Kevin. (laughs) Uh, Let's, well, let's start with you, Kevin. Uh, You got Andrew Jones, Todd Helton, Bobby Abreu, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowling, Carlos Beltran, Jeff Kent. Um, You didn't want to go for how many is that is that seven guys you didn't want to go for the full 10 i didn't uh the only other one i was strongly considering i guess was k-rod um as much as i like you know jimmy rollins um and even mark burley i think they're they're just a, a touch below hall of fame level um marvis scale I can't do it. He was so bad offensively. I just can't. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't. I can't, in good conscience, put put a guy on my ballot that was that actively bad offensively, um, despite being a top five shortstop defensively of all time. But um, yeah, I, I, I went back and forth on Jeff Kent, but the the sheer amount of home runs as a primarily second baseman um, kind of put it kind of put him over the edge for me, um, especially in the era that he played. There were only a handful of second basemen that hit home runs. And, and if you add him up, he was the best one at that. So that was what ultimately led led me to to include him. I think we pretty much talked about the the rest of the guys. Um, plus, Todd Helton had a mean goatee. So that, <laughs> yes. had, that played a role, if we're being honest. <laughs> and the facial hair game. And the backup quarterback of uh, Peyton Manning for a while. That's right. That's right. That's right. I just want to point out that the Total Basis podcast hosts, uh, we at the we at the very least got eight uh, people on the ballot, whereas everybody else only got up to six for the most part, and then Kevin with seven. But yeah, Sean's, Sean's and mine are exactly the same. Yep, yep. I should have just done that instead, but I was kind of rushing at the end. Of course, I got the Big Ten. Yeah, I am in the Midwest, so Big Ten, Big Ten Conference. But yeah, uh, I once again. Voted for Jimmy Rollins, Mark Burley, and John Lackey. Uh, Austin kind of convinced me that, you know what, John Lackey, it, it might not show it, but if I'm going to use my 10th vote, it might as well be on John Lackey. So that's what I did. And, of course, I, I honestly do believe that Mark Burley, knowing what we know about pitchers now and how much of a throwback he really was, you just saw, you, you guys talked about Mark Burley like he's a horse. Well, damn right he is. So let's go back to uh, the starting pitching uh, spreadsheet and sort this by – Innings pitch, yeah. Uh, fourth since 1995 with a minimum of 1,500 innings pitch. He's fourth in innings pitched. So there has to be something to be said about. And remember, and it's not just innings pitch, you guys. That's the number of outs that he got over his career, if you really think about it, right? That's a lot of outs. That's a lot of outs. Anyway. Yeah, and two of the guys oh. ahead of him got popped for PEDs. Yeah, you know what? I'm just saying. I'm just saying, and you know, you want to do it by wins. No, well, he only, you, you, you know, who beat him in innings pitched along with uh, behind the back, between the leg glove flips. Oh, but he's a cheater. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he is a cheater. Yep. Uh, number of wins, Mark Burley in 10th, top 10 since 1995. So for his era, he was a pretty damn good Hall of Fame worthy pitcher. There, I'm saying it. I'm hesitating, but I am saying it. And, uh, well, that is the ballot, but hold on. Who makes it into the Hall of Fame, you guys? 
and it looks like we have four guys with 100% of the ballot. It's Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, Carlos Beltran, Billy Wagner, and then Todd Helton also gets in at 85.7% of the vote. And it's 75%, right? That's the cutoff, right, guys? Yeah. Oh, just missing the cutoff was Bobby Abreu. Those damn Yankee fans in this ballot, in this uh, panel. It's just a bunch of... <laughs> they, they, they don't appreciate greatness when they see it, I guess. Oh, but if it was hey, let me listen. If it was Bernie, if it was Bernie Williams, oh, they would have voted two, three times for the guy just to get the numbers <laughs> up. Uh, anything that sticks out to you, or you? Uh, let's start with you, Austin, on the way the people voted on this one. Um, no, seems pretty. I mean, again, disrespect for K Rod. Uh, I really think K Rod is an underrated Hall of Fame player. I think he needs to get some respect, but I, it also doesn't surprise me. I think K Rod is um, going to be at the bottom of the ballot, if not off the ballot. I would be really surprised if he gets anything over 20, 30 percent, um, because I just don't think people hold K Rod to the same light as Billy Wagner, even though they were very they had they were very similar in terms of numbers and really in terms of how they pitched mm-hmm. they both had really hard fastballs and and relied on the strikeout so uh kevin anything that sticks out with the way the people voted here i'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't you know at least one person that held off on beltron from the astro stuff um i i don't i don't know how big of a role it's going to play in uh, in the actual voting, I'm sure it will keep him off of some ballots, um, but I, I'm a little bit surprised he got 100%. Um, I do think that him uh, performing well, and especially if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, will kind of kind of clear the way uh, for Jose Altuve probably in a decade or so um, to, to also potentially um, join him in the Hall. I think if somehow Beltron um, does not get in in the first few years, then it'll still be kind of up in the air. I think Verlander should be in the clear because, you know, he's a pitcher. It was, yeah. it was different. Um, but, um, but I think Altuve would probably be the next guy who would be voted on. So if Beltron takes a while, then I wonder how that would go for Altuve. It's a good point. Uh, but I think uh, me personally, I think you got to, treat it as a standalone situation because Beltran was there well before um I mean, Jose Altuve already has a strike against him because he did beat out Aaron Judge and if you piss off Yankee fans and the whole baseball wall is pissed off at you and <laughs> the double whammy came because you know the buzzers the trash cans the cameras so but Beltran already had the pedigree he already had a, a hall of fame career one of the best all-around center fielders of his era uh, so I think it's it's uh, it's to be treated a little bit differently. I also take offense that Justin Verlander was a pitcher, so he's immune from all this. No, he benefited from all that too. He, and when it was his moral compass was nowhere to be found when it was time for him to speak out on it. I mean, he there he waited for Mike Fierce to say something first, right? So, no, 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 no. I mean, I guess if you're talking about well, the media, the people who vote on this aren't going to see it, but you know what? I'll remember it. Where was Justin Verlander and his moral compass when we needed it the most? Also at home with Kate Upton. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we giggle like school children when we mention Kate Upton up here. Um, I, I'll tell you what, man. The whole and the whole teeny thing, I predicted when I first came out, like it's not gonna matter in a few years. They're gonna have intelligence rooms for these uh teams to set up shop and set up cameras and and high visibility uh 
tools and, and gadgets to steal signs, whether electronically or visually, and just relay them as quickly as possible down to this, to the, uh, what do you call it, to the manager and to the hitters and whatnot. And it's going to be sponsored by either Microsoft, Oracle, Apple, Google. Someone's going to sponsor it, and Major League Baseball is going to make out like a bandit, all because of Carlos Beltran's efforts to pioneer the way we steal signs in Major League Baseball. So there you have it, some science fiction to finish this evening. Uh, final thoughts from you guys. Kevin, start with you. You're on mute. Sorry, my uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my computer wasn't uh, acting as it should. Um, just Go ahead. My only, my only final thoughts are that uh, I'll be really disappointed if Billy Wagner doesn't go ahead and get in this year. Mm-hmm. And if Andrew Jones doesn't make significant progress towards making it, um, you know, I, th- I think I think Todd Hilton and and Scott Rowland and a couple other guys will, will get in. Um, but I, I will be disappointed if if Billy Wagner, who you can make an argument is a top three reliever of all time, mm-hmm. doesn't go ahead and get in. Um, and that if Andrew Jones doesn't get close. Austin, final thoughts before we leave for tonight. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about the modern era show that we did, and I believe we accurately uh, predicted that only Fred McGriff would get in. So is that going to happen this time? And if it happens this time, it's a big class. That's what five or six people are getting in this year, and that's, mo- that's more than we've seen in a number of years. It, uh, it would be cool. It would be cool to see a, a kind of a bigger class um, instead of one guy. You know what I mean? I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, no, only the Willie Mays of the world are getting in. And it's like that that's not the game anymore. You're not going to see 3000 hit 600 homers, you know, very often. You're not going to just you're just not going to see that anymore. Um, So you need to change your perspective on what a Hall of Fame player is for this modern era. Yeah. Mark Burley, Hall of Famer. Let's go. Let's get to it. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of old timers who were a lot worse than some of the guys that are on this ballot. Right. Yeah, and I'm hoping that as some of the old uh, journalists die out, that they'll be replaced by new guys who uh, understand, will do what we just did right now and look through it from a very statistical standpoint. Because that is, I to me, the honesty, forget all the noise, forget all the awards, forget all the accolades. Those are the things that are voted upon. What, what matters at the end of your career is your numbers, right? How do they stack up against everybody else, against your peers, so to speak? Not not just all time, but against your peers, the guys you played against, and and what did you do to contribute to the game and your team, and did you leave the game better off than when you uh, first arrived? You know what I'm talking about. It's tired. I can hear my daughter crying. All right, guys. Hey, thank you as always. One of the shows I love to do every year. Uh, I look forward to it every single year. So I thank you guys for joining me. For Austin, for Kevin, I am Felipe. We will see you next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>